Welcome in, everybody. Episode four of Pick and Pod. I am Andrew Posadas, pleased to be joined this week by Jack Roach. Jack, it has been so long since we've spoken hoops. I mean, it's got to be more than a few months since we've spoken about basketball. My guy, how are you? It's been too long, and I got to say, this is easily one of the most highly anticipated pick and pot episodes we've done just with the magnitude not only of of what's going on in the NBA but more importantly what's going on in New York basketball yeah I mean again there are a lot of things to be optimistic about if you're a Nets fan and I think if you're a Knicks fan you got to be pretty happy about where your team is we'll get into both local squads get into the Nets Kyrie Irving if he does end up playing tomorrow we'll get into that in a bit if he does end up playing we will see how he integrates within that Nets offense after they beat the Milwaukee Bucks on Monday night. I mean, just a really good game. I mean, Kevin Durant, James Harden going toe-to-toe with Chris Middleton, and, of course, the MVP Giannis Antetokounmpo and Jack, the Nets, really able to just close the deal. And, and they have only played a few games with each other, but already KD, James Harden, that rapport, that chemistry is there, and, and they look deadly already without Kyrie. Yeah, it, it's just crazy to me to think that Kyrie has played the most games in a Nets jersey out of those three guys, and it seems like he's the odd man out. I mean, Harden and Durant, their chemistry was off the charts last night, especially topping it off with that assist to put them over the top uh, from Harden to Durant on that three-pointer. But, man, they're looking really good clicking early in those first two games. Yeah, and let's get right in to the Brooklyn Nets. Obviously, Tuesday, big news this Tuesday afternoon, head coach Steve Nash confirming that Kyrie Irving did indeed practice on Tuesday for the first time in over two weeks. Nash also said that he expects Kyrie Irving to play tomorrow against Cleveland and Jack Kyrie ultimately would come on a bit later on to talk to the media through Zoom. And again, from what it looked like to my vantage point, I mean, first of all, he kind of seemed like there were other things weighing heavily on his mind and maybe he wasn't there 100% in that Zoom meeting. But again, when he spoke about his absence, I mean, Uh, This quote kind of just told me just the gist of how he felt. He says, quote, there's just so many assumptions about what's going on and so many people feel like they know me best, but they have no idea who I am. They have no idea what I'm about. So, Jack, what's your immediate reaction to what you heard from Kyrie and how this situation is ultimately going to play out when indeed he does come back, whether that is going to be tomorrow evening against the Cavs? I think if you gave that quote without any context and asked a random NBA fan who said this nine times out of 10, they would guess Kyrie, (laughs) you know, like we saw it in Cleveland. We saw it in Boston. I'm a Celtics fan. He drove me crazy, but that's just the stuff that comes with Kyrie. He's a great player, but the antics are there. And in a 72 game season, if we're lucky, if we get a 72 game season, you take seven games off, that's 10% of the season that he just took off, you know, and, you know, we're never going to be able to get inside of Kyrie's head. These, this is just what he does. Yeah. It's, it's hard, Jack, because Kyrie Irving, he's such 
uh, an intricate person. Obviously, he's so, I mean, the, in, the intellectual, you know, his, his intellect is there. Obviously, he's a very bright person. And, you know, he's done so much. You know, I, I think a lot of people criticize him a bit too heavily when you think about the pack, the fact, excuse me, that he paid over a million, a million and a half dollars for WNBA players who had opted out of the bubble last year. I mean, this is a guy who bought George Floyd's parents, he, or his family, he bought them a house recently. So again, this is a guy who's donated over $300,000 to families of New York, you know, so that they can eat and that they can, you know, navigate through the pandemic. So Kyrie, you know, his intentions are there and he's genuine about that. You know, he wants to use this platform to just kind of bring attention to social and racial injustices happening throughout the country. And I'm all for that. But I think there was one thing that kind of bugged me. And it was at one point he said, you know, the relationship between him and the media, you know, he called it a two way street. And I think for media members, they want transparency. You know, when they hopped on that Zoom meeting, you know, Malika Andrews asking him about, you know, did you realize that you broke health and safety protocols and that you were doing things that you weren't supposed to do leading up, you know, or during your absence? And Kyrie just kind of shrugs it off and says, you know, I'm just happy to be back you know, ready to move on. So again, you know, we want to believe you. We want, you know, nobody here is inherently against Kyrie Irving. But again, when you say it's a two-way street between you and the media, and then from there, a reporter asks you, you know, for some transparency, asks you to be candid, you know, about a sensitive topic, which, you know, I think the media has a right to ask him about, you know, and you kind of just dismiss it. I mean, you kind of don't help your cause in, in that way. And I think Kyrie, he can't be upset if media members still write about him with some, you know, with some cloudiness, you know, write, writing about him not knowing the full story. Because at the end of the day, all we know is that, you know, he said, you know, there's just been a lot of family and personal stuff and just kind of left it at that. You know, he said, quote, I have a conversation with each one of my teammates and we move on. So again, it's really kind of just trying to sweep it under the rug. but. You know, if you really are trying to, if you're really trying to say that, hey, people don't understand who I'm about, they don't know me, I think it's on you to kind of just open yourself up so people can know who exactly you are and they won't stay, oh, Kyrie's this, Kyrie's that. You know, people have the facts and they won't be making assumptions or making conclusions based on conjecture. Yeah. And when you sign a guy like Kyrie Irving, you know what you're getting. You know, you, you have. A, an incredible point guard, you know, incredible talent, but you, you put up with the, you know, the noise because of that. And I think we're now in a situation where there, there's more uncertainty than we've ever had with Kyrie because he's always been one of the guys or, or the guy with the ball in his hands, you know, in, in Cleveland, it was him and LeBron. And then in Boston, he was the main ball handler. And now we're in a situation where there are two guys that are just as, if not more effective with the ball in their hands than Kyrie Irving. That, that's the biggest uncertainty we've ever had in Irving's career. Yeah, and now Kyrie walks into this situation. When we look at the Brooklyn Nets right now, they're winners of four straight. Now nine and six on the season and a great game last night. Jack, you and I were, were texting back and forth about it. Just just great action between the Bucks and the Nets and what could be perennially and potentially the Eastern Conference Finals matchup. I mean, come, you know, late May between Milwaukee and Brooklyn. But again, the Nets able to get that win, 125-123. Chris Middleton has a shot, you know, at the end of regulation, 
Giannis looked like he was open cutting to the basket. Middleton couldn't find him, rushed a shot. The possession before, a bad shot for Middleton from beyond the arc. And unfortunately, the Bucks, you know, playing a team again in the Nets, they don't have Kyrie Irving. They're not at full strength. And for the Bucks to kind of lose, that says a lot about where the Nets are and where they're kind of headed with KD and with James Harden right now. But when Kyrie comes back into the fold, Jack, how do we expect this to work? Who do you think has to sacrifice the most in order to get this Nets team to continue taking the right steps and going for a championship? Well, that's the million-dollar question, right? And, and let me say this. It's certainly not Kevin Durant, right? Kevin Durant, who would have thought that after the most devastating injury in basketball, arguably the most devastating injury in basketball, yeah. Achilles, he's playing the best basketball of his life. Last two games, Brooklyn has scored 247 points. 208 of those have either been scored or assisted by Durant or Harden. Where does Kyrie fit into that? It's a question that I I was listening to XM radio talk show. I was listening to ESPN, and everyone seems to have a different response. And this isn't the, the, uh, the, the answer that everyone wants to hear but we have no idea what's going to happen until we watch it tomorrow night. We have no idea, man. We could say, oh, we need Harden to, to you know, play off ball more. We need Kyrie to be more a facilitator. We can throw out these guesses, but we don't know how it's going to work until it actually happens tomorrow. I mean, this is what Kyrie is walking into. KD, after that Achilles injury, right now, as of this, po- as of this point, He's averaging 31, seven rebounds, almost six assists. He's shooting 54% from the field, and he's shooting damn near 50% from beyond the arc. It's absolutely absurd what KD is doing. And I think a lot of people, you know, while the Achilles injury is, you know, a career killer, for KD, you know, his game isn't predicated on, you know, dunking or jumping or having to use his athleticism full time you know he's about as smooth a score as it comes and and at 610 611 once he jumps and goes up for a shot I mean it's nearly unblockable I don't know anybody who can block KD's shot at all I mean he's just the the wingspan his game hasn't changed whatsoever he's just gotten better and I think I was one of those people Jack who said during the bubble hey should Kyrie and KD come back I mean this could be their chance to kind of steal the east and get to the finals and sneak in there after taking that time off, you know, with the shutdown. But again, KD knows his body better than we all do. He decided not to go back, waited until this season began, and now it's paying off. And when you look at James Harden, his first two games on the job so far, if I have them right here, his debut, 32 points, 14 assists, 12 rebounds. Last night, 34 points, 12 assists, six rebounds. That's what Kyrie Irving is walking into And I agree with you. It isn't Kevin Durant. He doesn't need to sacrifice the most because for him, he can do the most with the the least. He doesn't need 25 shots in order to get his 30. He is about as efficient as they come. And for him, everything just comes naturally. He doesn't need to be the primary ball handler. So for Kyrie and James, it's going to be, can we take turns? There are going to be moments where we need you to kind of be the point guard and initiate offense. And there are going to be moments where you're going to need to play off the ball. And I don't think that's a bad thing. Jack, if I'm not mistaken, Kyrie can knock down the three-point shot. James Harden, very much capable of knocking down trays. So if one of them is going to the rack or or making the defense have to rotate collapse, 
one of those guys are going to be open for looks from beyond the arc or just open to go to the basket and get easy lands on on back cuts. So again, I think it's going to work wonders. And if you're Steve Nash, this is a, a great problem to have. I mean, you could have 99 problems in the world, but again, this problem, if you're Steve Nash, Mike D'Antoni, Jock Vaughn, this is a great problem to have. And I think they're going to have very much, it's going to be an experimentation like no other, but to have these three scores here to see what you can do to make this offense even more lethal. I mean, I think that's something that coach Steve Nash has to be really licking his chops about. I agree that that's a good problem to have, but the issue is that that's not the only problem that they have. You're not going to get that performance from DeAndre Jordan that you did last night every night. And let's say that they run the table. Let's say that they make the finals. How are they going to cover Anthony Davis and LeBron James? It's it just – and I understand that's, that's, if, that's if this experiment works. That's if they everything, – everything clicks and Kyrie and Harden and Durant can coexist and they make the finals. But – I guess there are a lot of question marks. There's, there's a lot that needs to go right for that, for them to even reach that, that scenario. But I would say, though, Jack, that I think for the Nets, when the deadline comes, whether it be the trade deadline or for players to get bought out, I, I think a popular name that I've heard and I've seen on Twitter is JaVale McGee. If the Nets can just get somebody like that, I think that'll work. A lot of guys are seeing somebody like Dwayne Dedman, Hassan Whiteside with the Kings. People think he might get bought out. At what assets? Point. They have no picks. No, I'm saying they're going to get bought out. So they're going to get bought out. They're going to become free agents. Okay. And for the Nets, they can just pick them up. So I think that's what the Nets are going to be leaning on, not trades. It's going to have to be players like JaVale McGee, Hassan Whiteside, if they ultimately want out of their respective places, Cleveland and Sacramento – they're going to get bought out. And if you're Hassan Whiteside, if you're JaVale McGee, you don't look at that Nets team and say, hey, I can get an – if I'm JaVale McGee, that's another ring for me. Hassan Whiteside's been looking for a ring, and I think those guys will be more inclined to sign a veteran's minimum or sign a year or two contract for the rest of the season and kind of go championship hunting. So for the Nets, as constructed now, yeah, they lack the size. And defensively, even when Kyrie comes back, they're going to be even more of a liability on that side of the floor. But I think if they can take advantage of the buyout market and pick up some bigs and pick up a few guys that, you know, teams know, hey, they're going to end up wanting out and going to be on a perennial, you know, championship team. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that the Nets pick up a few more guys and kind of sure up that defensive liability that we're seeing so far. Yeah, the buyout market's going to be huge for them. I mean, they, they've played well, but giving up 123 points every night is not going not gonna to work out well. But I, I just hope that I, I look at my phone one day and see a Woj bomb that says, like, the Nets have given up a 20-35 first-round pick or something like that. <laughs> they, they've, got, they've got nothing, man. They've got nothing. Again, when you mortgage your future, you, you're putting all your chips in. So for the Nets, they better hope they get a championship or two because if not, I mean, you're, you're going to see what – I mean, think about what your Boston Celtics and Danny Age did where they fleeced them early on just about a decade ago for two guys who were shot in KG and Paul Pierce. I mean, that – that was one of the biggest steals of all time. I mean, at least James Harden, he's a former MVP, still in his prime. So he's obviously worth much more than KG and Paul Pierce were worth combined. But again, for the Nets, it's going to be interesting. But I think we both can agree it's championship robust. There is no other expectation. This is a team that when you compare them to the rest of the East, 
when Kyrie's back, nobody else in the Eastern Conference will have a three-man or have just a big three in general than the Brooklyn Nets. So we got to think, when you think about teams like Milwaukee, we just saw them play Giannis and Middleton, and that wasn't enough for the Bucs to beat the Nets. We think about your Celtics, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. Are they enough? to beat a potential big three of Kyrie, KD, and Harden. And people are talking about Philadelphia, but again, Joel, Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, uh, do you like your chances w- with them against that big three? I-, I think for the Nets, as long as everyone stays healthy and they can maybe add someone from the buyout market, this is a team that's firmly in position to finish first in the East and obviously be the prohibitive favorite to get out and get to the NBA Finals. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I looked at the uh, the Eastern Conference uh, standings ahead of this, and, like, we always joke about how the East is, is a joke compared to the West. And I will say that the, the quality of teams drops off very quickly. But when you, when you talk about the best five or six teams in the East compared to the West – it's close. It's close. And that's the first time that that's happened in a long time. So it's going to be a really interesting playoff. I mean, forget about like leading up to it when it actually happens. I mean, there are legitimately five plus teams that have a shot. Yeah. And one of those five teams being the Brooklyn Nets, they're currently fifth in the Eastern conference right now, as I mentioned, a nine and six record, but Jack, the team right behind them in sixth, that would be the New York Knicks. They are seven and eight after 15 games. And I think we all agree that they've exceeded the expectations that I think Knicks fans had for them after 15 games. And what we're seeing right now is Coach Tom Thibodeau. He has really just implemented his defensive mentality on this team. And Jack, if I could bring up some of these statistics here that I have, if it'll ever work. All right, here we go. As of this morning, the New York Knicks, they rank first in fewest points allowed per game. They only allow a shade under 103 a night. They're first in opponent's field goal, first in opponent's three-point field goal percentage, and they're a top five team in defensive efficiency. So again, they were able to beat the Magic on MLK Day in an afternoon game that was an offensive struggle, to say the least. Nobody could buy a basket for the first three quarters. Got exciting there towards the end. You know, the Magic made a run, but again, the Knicks able to close the deal there. Jack, I mentioned the Knicks at six right now. If you could put a percentage on it, what do you think are the chances that the New York Knicks can sustain this success, this level of play, and find themselves in the playoffs come May? Well, man, they, I'm, let, let's be real. This has been the best case scenario for the Knicks 15 games. Absolutely. This is – the defense is awesome. And this is what you expected with Tibbs, right? Um, you've got the rookies playing well. Emmanuel quickly has been playing very well. And you know what? Knicks fans are starting to get a little impatient and begging for him for more minutes, right? I had a Payton, but – Knicks, Knicks fans, take your time, all right? We don't, we don't want to throw them into the fire and have, like, uh, I mean, who, who's, like, the, the last point guard on the team right now? I mean, you're talking about, like, Alfred Payton. It's been a revolving door for the New York Knicks. It's just, let's try him. No, let's try him. Emmanuel quickly, 
you know, as, as we mentioned, I forget, was it CBS Sports that gave them the D+, D plus. gave the Knicks a D-plus when they, when they got Emmanuel quickly, was at 25 when they traded up? Uh, again, I, I think, I mean, I would love to see him start too, but I think Tibbs has the right idea. He understands his rookies. I mean, this is a shortened season. A lot of these rookies, they hadn't played, you know, since March, you know, before all things shut down. You don't get a, a summer league, no, you know, preseason's only a few games. So again, still have to acclimate, you know, these rookies. But again, as you mentioned, Emmanuel quickly showing that he's not afraid. He, he won't hesitate and he's aggressive, especially offensively. And that float game, already so clean I mean and I love that alley-oop with him and Obi Toppin that's what Knicks fans want to keep seeing those guys will be the foundation pieces if the Knicks want to you know become a perennial playoff team consistently moving forward but I, I think Tibbs he's really I mean a lot of people are wondering you know will Tibbs run this team in the ground will he give everybody 42 plus minutes the way we saw him do you know the Chicago Bulls and a lot of people you know gave Thibodeau, the, the blame for kind of, you know, derailing D-Rose and Joe Kim Noah and Luol Deng, who all had, you know, injury-ridden seasons after their primes under Tom Thibodeau. But again, I think he's done a great job kind of balancing, you know, his style with what the game has now become. I mean, Julius Randle, he averages 38 minutes, and a lot of people think that's a lot. But, Jack, when you consider that Tibbs used to give his guys 42 and 43 minutes, you know, back in the Chicago days when he was with Minnesota, I think Tibbs is kind of adjusted. He understands what the game is and, and how he needs to treat his players when it comes to conditioning. And so far, the players have reacted positively. And if you're 7-8 and eight right now, you're right there at 500 Again, it's a shortened season, just 72 games. If they can stay and hover right here, I would have to say it's more than a 50% chance that they can make the playoffs. Because, again, we're seeing other teams in the East who aren't playing as well. And, again, if this team can play defense and keep games close, and a guy like Julius Randle, who's having a career season right now, when you think about it, he's averaging 23, 11 rebounds, six assists. I mean, he's really been the catalyst for that offense. I think if he can continue being a leader and continue facilitating, finding others, and your rookies and quickly in top and continue to emerge, you get guys back. Obviously, Alec Burks has been hurt, but you have shooters in place. Their size there, if Mitchell Robinson can kind Kind of avoid foul trouble and get himself back on track. I don't see why in the East, after you mentioned there's five great teams, after that, seeds six to eight. I think that's an open door for anybody in the East. So why not the Knicks, right? I, I agree with you. And it, it, it kind of hurts me to say that as a Celtics fan. But <laughs> even in the absence of Alec Burks, who in his first few games really was looking like a guy who could be a key piece to this Knicks team, and he's coming back soon. They, even in his absence, they have been distributing the minutes more so than they would have with a previous Tibbs team. You know, I, I, I'm impressed with R.J. Barrett's performance over these past few games. Um, those, those shooting averages have got to come up at some point, but he's, he's younger than Obi Toppin. He's two years younger. Like, he's got time to develop. And – I think that for the first time in a long time, the Knicks are trending in a positive direction. You've got young talent, you've got solid veterans, and you, you really look like you're going somewhere with the chance of actually making the playoffs. I don't know if you remember my Celtics back when they drafted Marcus Smart. Uh, Julius Randle actually got draft, drafted by the Lakers with the very next pick. 
Um, but we traded for Isaiah Thomas, squeaked into the eight seed, and uh, were subsequently swept by the Cavaliers. Maybe we got one game, and it was a small victory, you know, in morale, but that was what became a legitimate playoff contender, which would end up making the Eastern Conference Finals two times with that with that squad. So making the playoffs, even if they can't make a legitimate run, means a lot more than just at face value. No, Jack, that's a great point that you make because I remember talking uh, for our season preview with Kelly Bright and saying if Knicks fans, if the Knicks end up 30 and 42 after 72 games and don't make the playoffs, but they're competitive, Knicks fans are going to be ecstatic because there's nowhere to go but up. And obviously, this is a, a fan base, a, a franchise, a city that is just dying to have a winner again. I mean, obviously we can't have fans at the Mecca right now, but imagine if these Knicks were a team that you know you can mark them in as a playoff team and then eventually a a championship caliber squad. I mean, MSG is going to be rocking whenever they're allowed to be at full capacity Uh, again. So, and, and I would just say this, I think hanging your hat on defense that's what you have to do for now because I think the offense will work its way. As, as you mentioned, as long as guys continue to progress, obviously Emmanuel quickly already off to a quick start. You know, sorry for the pun, but the only word I can come up with, he's come along faster than I think Coach Tibbs and that staff thought he would. Obviously, Obi was hurt, but when he comes back, the potential's there. We've already seen flashes of it from him. And again, with these other vets around them, with a guy like Julius Randle, Austin Rivers, Alec Burks, Nerlens Noel, guys who have been around, I think the recipe is there. And just one final tidbit about this defense, and shout out to Tommy Beer for this, because he tweeted this out earlier uh, earlier today. He writes for Forbes. He put, he put on Twitter, the Knicks' current defensive rating is 107. The Knicks have posted a defensive rating of 107 or better over a full season only three times in the last 15 years. And they made the playoffs in each of those three seasons. So again, if the Knicks defensively, if they can hold firm and keep games close and kind of use their defense to catapult them and stay at around 500, I mean, this is a team that could be a seventh or eighth seed. And if they get swept or not, or if they win the game, however the case, whatever the, whatever the case is come postseason time, Knicks fans are going to be excited because now they're seeing what they've been waiting for. They're seeing a franchise that has finally turned around and trying to build a winner. And I think that's all you can ask for. So if the Knicks can keep where they are, if they can make the playoffs and stay on this trajectory, I think it's a massive win for Leon Rose, for Coach Tibbs, and for that franchise. Because I think at the end of the day, the NBA is better when big market teams like the Knicks, like the Sixers, like the Chicago Bulls, the Lakers, the league is better when these franchises are great. And I think it's a very, very, very optimistic sign to see where the Knicks are at after 15 games. There's still a whole lot of season left to go. But if you're a Knicks fan, you have to be, you have to be just pleased with the effort and the performance that you've seen from your team so far. Yeah, this is the first step in escaping that never-ending cycle of mediocrity. And this is exactly how the Nets landed guys like Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. So, you know, make the playoffs if you can. And, uh, I mean, this is – it's boring, and you have to be patient. But this is how championship contenders are built. Yeah, and I would just say this. The Knicks, they lost five straight. And I think a lot of people were thinking, all right, this is the same old Knicks. They won their last two games. So, again, a whole lot of season left. But the Knicks right in the mix, and they look 
to stay in the mix moving forward. And that leads me to our final topic, albeit a big topic, Jack, obviously both standings as constructed right now in the Eastern Conference. You have your Boston Celtics. They number one right now with an eight and four record. Obviously, the four losses put them on top over the Milwaukee Bucks, the Philadelphia 76ers, who are tied for second in the West. The reigning champion Lakers, they're in first place. But I kind of want to talk about some of the teams who have underperformed, who have gotten off the slow starts, obviously, in the East right now. The Atlanta Hawks, I mean, that's a team that I thought could potentially be a top five, top six team. They're at eight right now. They're hovering at six and seven, not off to the quick start. But again, they're going through some injuries. But two teams in the East, Miami. I mean, this is the same Miami team that kind of took everybody by surprise in the bubble, got to the Eastern Conference final, excuse me, got to the finals. I was going to say they went through Milwaukee. They went through Boston on their way to the NBA finals. They're at five and seven right now. Jimmy Butler, not healthy. That team kind of waiting to be back at 100%. And for the Toronto Raptors, they're five and eight. And again, I I think for the Raptors now, the pressure on guys like Siakam to to be that superstar and kind of leaning on that undersized backcourt of Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet, that's gotten, you know, that hasn't gotten the Raptors the wins that we saw last year. It really seemed like Nick Nurse and that team very much motivated last year to make a point and now off to a slow start. And then in the Western Conference, two teams that we're seeing outside of the playoffs right now, but the Dallas Mavericks and the Denver Nuggets. I mean, the Nuggets, they were just in the Western Conference Finals. The Dallas Mavericks obviously gave the Clippers all they could handle in the postseason last year or in the bubble. But again, those teams tied for 10th. Jack, when you look at some of these teams here who are not where we thought they'd be at this point after 15 games, who are you most concerned for if you were to look at those four teams, the Heat and the Raptors in the East and two teams like the Mavericks and Denver in the Western Conference. So I'm going to take the, uh, the two Eastern Conference teams you mentioned, the two Western Conference teams, and I'm going to choose one from each conference that I'm concerned about, right? Um, you look at Major League Baseball this past season, and you see guys like Christian Yelich hitting almost 200, right? I'm not concerned about Christian Yelich because he is a talented baseball player and it's a funky season. He's going to be fine. That's how I feel about the Heat. They're going to be fine. They're a great basketball team. They're just coming off making the finals. They're going to be okay. Every team has their struggles. But when you look at a team like the Raptors, you have to question if they have the talent to be that kind of team, like the Heat. Like, they're struggling, but do they even have the talent to be in that conversation And I think that same logic applies to the Mavericks because you've been waiting for Luca and Chris Stapps to culminate into something great. And here it is. Chris Stapps is coming off his injury. Um, But when you have two guys that are certainly going to command close to, if not max contracts, is that enough to be a contender? And we've been waiting for the Mavericks to arrive. You know, we've seen Luca putting up these gaudy numbers, but where does that, how does that translate to real tangible wins and success? And I just don't know if that's going to come. Whereas with the Nuggets, it has, we've seen it. 
No, I, I'm with you on the Raptors. Like I said, I think that was a team when you talk about last season and everyone saying, well, you guys won the championship on Kawhi Leonard's back and you guys aren't going to be relevant moving forward. I think they had a chip on their shoulders, you know, obviously uh, led by Nick Nurse and they made a point to finish second in the East. But again, they underwhelmed us in the postseason and when Pascal Siakam was asked to be a superstar to give that effort and be the guy he wasn't that and they ultimately end up getting eliminated by your Boston Celtics in the bubble so again for Siakam can he be that guy or is he what we saw when they won the championship the second best player on a championship caliber team and for Kyle Lowry obviously he gave you everything he had in that run but, you know, he's on the other side of 30 and obviously in the back end of his career. So it's not going to get any better And for Fred Van Vliet. Now, is he going to be your superstar? I don't think so. He's a really good player, deserved the money that he got. But I think last season was a bit more of an aberration where this team just wanted to prove to everybody, hey, we're a good basketball team. But I think everyone else, especially in the East, has caught up to the Raptors. And I think there's a lot more teams out there with just more firepower, more star power than I think when you consider guys like Pascal Siakam, Kyle Lowry, who's now on the back end, and Fred Van Vliet. Those are really good players, but again, not the superstars that some of these other teams in the Eastern Conference have. But I will say this, though, going to the West, I'm concerned about the Denver Nuggets. And for one main reason, Jamal Murray, this is a guy who is about as inconsistent as they come. In the bubble, he was super saiyan like I mean, he couldn't miss. He was amazing. It, it was beautiful to watch. But then to start this season, it's just kind of been all right. There's been some games where he has been electric and other games where he's kind of disappeared and really just can't find a rhythm or at least affect the game in other facets, whether it be, all right, we need you to get, you know, this many assists or, you know, lock down the team's best perimeter player. You know, again, I think for Jamal Murray, you know, yes, he has the potential to be a star in this league and to be an emerging talent, but you have to be consistent. And when you got the Joker who's playing the best basketball of his life right now, and he could be an MVP candidate if the Denver Nuggets had a better record at this point, he'd probably be right there in the mix. I think a lot of people would say that KD is probably firmly there at number one with the numbers he's putting up. But again, for Joker to be putting up those numbers and for the Nuggets to be six and seven after 13 games, again, as I keep saying, it is a long road ahead. There's still a lot of season left. They still need Michael Porter Jr. He's been out with injury. But for Denver, you don't want to get behind. Again, there's 10 less games. If you give up games early, it's going to be hard for you to come back. Obviously, the play-in tournament does help because you could still get yourself in if need be. But that's not the position you want to be because if you win that play-in tournament, you're going to face LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and the Los Angeles Lakers in the first round. So, again, for Denver, I think them, like Dallas, great offensively but defensively. Can they make strides in that department? Because that's what's going to ultimately get them back into that top eight and back as being a factor. Because again, Jack, at their best, Dallas and Denver, definitely two of the better teams in the West. And if they can figure it out, two teams that can really give the Lakers their best shot. I think we got a little uh, TJ Warren syndrome with Jamal Murray in the bubble. Remember when Warren was putting up like 50 Yeah, oh, crazy numbers. I think we got a little bit of that with Jamal Murray, and I still think he's a really good player. He'll probably make a couple all-star games in his career, but he's not the bubble. That, that's, I don't think that's who he is. 
And I think he will greatly benefit from Michael Porter Jr. coming back, who was playing great in his very brief stint. Um, he got injured and he got COVID. So he's, uh, he, he'll be coming back soon. I've got him on my fantasy squad. So <laughs> I, I'm, I'm counting on him, um, not only for the sake of my team, but for Jamal Murray, because I, I think there's a lot of pressure placed on him to score and to facilitate. And when you've got another young stud coming back, I think that a lot of that pressure is alleviated and the Nuggets can continue or, or at least resume being that really good, if not great team that they are. Yeah, it's hard to make out the Western Conference right now when you think about, you know, Dallas, Denver, New Orleans, a team a lot of people thought should be in the playoff hunt right now or should be in the top eight. They're behind Dallas and Denver at this point. So, again, there's so many good teams. And then you look at a team like Portland. I said Dame was going to be the league MVP and Portland would finish second. But I didn't know that Nurkic would go down and now C.J. McCollum is going to be out for about a month. So again, does Portland take a step back? Probably. So I would not be surprised to see shuffling in the next few weeks in the Western Conference. But I do want to finish it off with the Eastern Conference and a huge question, Jack, that I think we should answer now before we wrap things up. Obviously, I mentioned Kyrie Irving. He will ultimately play tomorrow. That's what we're getting. All indications say he will be back in the lineup. So Jack, realistically, with Kyrie, KD, and James Harden in the fold, that big three. We look at these other teams, Boston. They just beat the Bucks. A team like Philadelphia. Which one of those three teams do you think has the best shot come playoff time to knock off the Nets? Three, meaning Boston, Philadelphia, and? And uh, Milwaukee. Milwaukee. Um... I know this is a hard one for you. You're a Celtics fan, so I know you don't want to not pick the Celtics. But, again, who, who do you think has the best shot against this big three come playoff time? I know it's early, but, again, yeah. speculate. Okay, I'm biased. <laughs> I, I, you already know where I'm going with this, okay? Um, I think that the Celtics match up better against the Nets than the Bucks do. I think that Giannis is the best player in the East maybe with the exception of Durant, but why is he not taking those big shots down the stretch? Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are going to be taking those shots down the stretch. And to me, I'd rather have those two taking the shots than Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday. And don't get me wrong, that's not a knock on those guys. That's just me saying that Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are becoming one of the league's premier young I mean, they're playing, they, they should both be all-stars, if not all-NBA guys. Yeah, this is my thing. The Nets, obviously, defensively, that's where I think people are going to say that's where the downfall could end, ultimately end up. That's where the demise, if they were to get eliminated, it would probably be because a team just carves them up on defense. Is that the Philadelphia 76ers? I don't think, Joel Embiid, I think he can dominate the bigs there. I mean, DeAndre Jordan can't do anything with him. And for Ben Simmons, if he wanted to be aggressive on offense, he could get his in the painted area. But I think the Celtics, I think you're right. They have the most firepower. Milwaukee, Giannis. I mean, unless he can get that jumper to go down every single time, I'll take Chris Middleton closing out games. If I'm an opposing defense, 
let Chris Middleton try and close it out. We're not scared of him at the end of the day. He's not the best player on a championship team. And if Giannis isn't willing to take those shots in clutch time, then again, opposing defenses will take that. So I think the Celtics, when you think about three guys who could knock down shots down the stretch, Jalen Brown, obviously, you know, I love me some Jason Tatum. And I think he's going to be the best player in this league at some point down the line. And then when you bring back Kemba Walker and he's at 100%, he's a guy who's, I mean, made a living hitting big shots. And I think somebody like a Robert Williams, guys like Grant Williams, Marcus Smart, I mean, they have bodies that they can throw at KD, that they can throw at James Harden. So I think it'd be an interesting chess match between Brad Stevens and Steve Nash to kind of focus in on how that Celtics defense can frustrate that high-powered Nets offense. But I think at the end of the day, the Celtics, as constructed in Obviously, we know Danny Ainge, he's never done doing anything. If he thinks he can make a deal and add another piece or do something to solidify his team's chances to get to the finals, he'll do so. And I think you got to watch out for that. But the, but the Celtics is currently constructed. I think their firepower, while it doesn't match up to the Brooklyn Nets, I think it's enough where at full strength, they can give the Nets an interesting seven-game series. And I think we'd love to have a Celtics-Nets Eastern Conference Finals. I mean, the Milwaukee game was great too, but I'd love to see Jason Tatum and Kevin Durant go back and forth. Jalen Brown and James Harden go back and forth. Kemba and Kyrie go back and forth. Jack, I mean, those are three really good matchups right there. There'd be a lot of offensive firepower in a series between the Nets and the Celtics. Yeah, I mean, even when we've got this big three super team, we've still got parity. And that's the great thing about the NBA right now. There are a lot of teams that are vying for this championship. So I'm just happy that we're even having this conversation because there are some really good teams in the Eastern Conference. Oh, man. And uh, again, it's going to be fun. I mean, this is, this is what we love. We wanted this. Obviously, the bubble, that gave us just that infusion back. And now this season, it's shortened. We know that. But with this blockbuster trade and I think other teams kind of emerging and being competitive, I think down the stretch, we're going to get some really, really good basketball and teams are going to give the Nets their best shot in the East and teams are going to give the Lakers their best shot in the West. But I think no matter how things go, you just got to be happy that I think players are trying to do their best to adhere to the health and safety protocols. Obviously, teams are going to get caught up with it. It happens. Obviously, there's a pandemic. But I think the players are doing their best under the circumstances and under the situation. You know, they're doing their best to kind of stay in and really make sure that their teams have ample opportunities, you know, to play at their best throughout an entire season. So, Jack, I mean, as long as players can stay focused, you know, come postseason time, if they do a bubble, then, you know, that's up to the NBA and Adam Silver. But I think we have a great season ahead of us, something that I don't think a lot of people thought we would, you know, not too long ago when everything was shut down. I'll keep it simple. It's a good time to be an NBA fan. (laughs) See, that's why they pay you the big bucks, my friend. And on that note, we will wrap things up here. Appreciate everyone who tuned in to episode four of Pick and Pod. For Jack Roach, I'm Andrew Posadas telling all the Hoops fans, man, just enjoy basketball. We will be back with another episode very, very soon. But for Jack, I am Andrew telling everyone, enjoy basketball. Enjoy the rest of the week. Pick and Pod is a production of WFUV Sports, everyone. 